So now as, as we've been on retreat for a, a week or so, and of course many of you have been practicing meditation for for years, many years. Some some are newer, but so you chance to review your upaya, your skillful means, your ways of handling the dukkha as it arises, of seeing the potentials to generate it. We don't realize we're grasping it, pleasant feeling, which doesn't seem like dukkha <laughs> for a while. Grasping at success, getting, you know, identifying and feeling really, you know, empowered and happy with success, which doesn't seem like dukkha at all. Until, you know, you begin to recognize how incessantly demanding it can be for more pleasant feeling, more success in different fields. And to maintain uh, a standard of excellence which we might have been able to arrive at temporarily or for a while in a certain range. Of course this is the you know, one of the problems with geniuses who are brilliant in certain areas and completely defective in other areas. They'd be great scientists, but they can't relate to their kids. You know, a great painter, but he's got a weird attitude towards women and he's addicted to, to liquor. You know, so, in some ways, all their energy has gone into one particular area it's not become balanced. Uh, and when you're in your good spot, you don't realize, uh, you know, the, the fascination of pleasant sanya. You're identifying with it. This is mine. I can do this. I'm a winner. Great. You don't realize that. But uh, grasping success or failure, of course, is dukkha, is the recipe for it. And what's the intermediary experience? I am. So from upadana, clinging, comes the experience, I am, I've got it, I have this, I've become this, I've attained this, I've achieved this, or of course grasping unpleasant feeling, I'm this, I'm stuck with this, I am this, I'm a terrible, I'm useless, and I've become that. And this upadana, then bhava, is the becoming, what I've become as a result of the grasping of the citta. Identity forms, and then there we establish a foundation for future actions. Because I am a genius at success, I expect constant adoration all the time. And everything I do will be flawless. And what I don't, what isn't flawless, I will ignore. I will not notice. I will think that's not important. 
And so you're a great mathematician, you perhaps don't think that looking after your kids is that important. Your wife can do that. Mm. And so on. Mm. So we establish a, this even with skill, happy and, and definitely, we'd say, praiseworthy qualities. We're, we're watchful about that. If it becomes an identity, it's upadana, clinging to it, fascination with it, becoming it, cause of birth, bhava. So it's upadana, bhava, jati. Jati, birth, we become that. We feel that becomes the basis of our future life. And our future life begins in the next moment. <laughs> Not when we die, although of course that's also the case. But our future life, our rebirth is in the next moment where we take as a basis where we've landed or where the mind has landed in becoming, that's what I am and therefore I go this direction. Um, Jati, or wherever direction one goes to, then there's still the ongoing, the need for more, the obstacles, the decline, you know, when maybe if we're successful, then our, some of our faculties fade out. Or other people are even better. You know, you're a grandmaster at chess, and then some 16-year-old kid, geek, you know, gets better than you, than you already has been. <laughs> Nobody, and a has-been is def- definitely a has-been. It's kind of like, so what? He's past it. I remember the story of this uh, incredible mountaineer, Reinhold Messner, who was probably the you know best mountain climber ever. He climbed all the all the peaks, all the great peaks, Everest, every one of them. And then he thought, well, that's not good enough. So I'm going to do it without oxygen. So he did it all without oxygen. <laughs> you know that wasn't still. You know he'd be halfway up some, you know mountain, some incredible mountain. At, 27,000 feet and he'd be, the snow would come down a blizzard and he'd be sitting in his tent lying in his feeling this incredible anxiety that he might not be able to make it because the weather, of the weather you know the failure is just too miserable the idea of not being able to do it is too miserable oh dear you know when I look at mountains think I'm happy with it being up there I'm down here. That's good. <laughs> no, no urge to climb it at all. <laughs> it's nice to look at, and, you know. They succeed because the exhilaration. I'm sure it could be very exhilarating. <clears throat> we'll have a little mountains that we can climb, metaphorical ones. And, oh yeah, done that. Got that project. Tick. You know, finished. Ding. Next. So if we, <laughs> you know, take this uh, jati birth as, as uh, you know, in terms of what we've be- what is becoming, where the chitra has landed in becoming, taking a foundation there, then that establishes the aim and the path for the chitta. It means go more, more that way, forever. You know, more, always upwards.
Mm. You see what I mean? Success. Because, because of what? Because feeling has not been understood. <laughs> you know? Um, the Buddha was uh, very good at that, all this, just cut it right down to, look, you haven't understood the nature of feeling. Feelings like this. Mental feelings like this. Happy, winner. And then the sanya, perception. I'm good, I'm bad, I'm in the middle. I'm nearly there, I'm not there. Sanya taps the chitta. We get some quality of Vedana feeling, feeling in up Vedana, Tanha, dependent on Vedana, dependent on feeling, arises this thirst for more of it. Yeah, or to spit it out and have another one. Unpleasant feeling, spit it out. Have some pleasant feeling instead. This this tanha, thirst. Can you imagine, you know, it's a very useful word, craving, thirst, because you just imagine you take your thirst and you take pick up a glass and oh I don't like this. That's dukkha vedana, unpleasant feeling, then you take drip pick up a glass of something, oh this is really pleasant. Take a whole lot of it. This is sukha vedana, pleasant feeling. But what's happened is the tanha has acted we get this reaction to it and then the grasping of it tanha upadana upadana this mechanism occurs where the mind clamps onto quality of feeling and then says I am that which is suffused with this feeling I am that which is submerged in this feeling I am that which is lifted up by this feeling and that which is struggling with this feeling, that's what I am. I am that which is feeling things. And, you know, in different degrees of uh, <laughs> what we, what is made out of that. I'm someone who can just about bear feeling. I'm someone who has a lot of pleasant feeling. I'm someone who has terrible feeling, miserable feeling. I am that which feels. I'd like to be that which doesn't feel. I want to be somebody who doesn't feel anything. That's what I want to be. <laughs> this is still Bhava Tanha, craving for being something. And when one experiences the, the ups and downs of, of uh, feeling, Vedana, it's quite uh, understandable. Sometimes you just say, I don't want to feel anything. It's just too stirring. So then we go numb out. I want to be somebody who doesn't feel anything. That's we become that. We aim for that. Uh, we take a stand on that. And then the birth, the continuing movement towards not feeling anything. And how far does that go before you feel something? <laughs> or you feel you begin to experience confusion or dissociation or loneliness or physical pain or you know uh, lack of joy because uh, you don't feel anything and so this is it's not really feeling it's not the problem exactly 
It's the tanha, upadana, bhava that's the problem. So if you, you know, what is the, what is the skillful means for dealing with that? Is it best not to feel anything at all? Get to some remote place where you don't feel anything, would that be useful? Could be. Could be at least a temporary break, couldn't it? Or just to feel pleasant feeling? Well, that would be nice, but get into some happy, blissful state. Yeah, I'll have some of that. Anybody like anybody like more unpleasant feeling? Hands up. No, didn't think so. <laughs> Some people do. <laughs> Tormentors, the ascetics, were the great ones that who indulged in unpleasant feeling. To sense this will get, this will teach me, this will get me out. If I get enough unpleasant feeling, then I'll be able to relinquish feeling. Oh, didn't work either. <laughs> so, what's the upaya? The skillful means to maintain this understanding uh, of uh, this linking or dependent arising of dukkha, vedana, tanha, upadana, bhava, jati, whatever is born, whatever whatever we become, passes away, ages, goes feeble, wears out, dukkha. So then, really, this is we have a chance here to begin to, um, you know, penetrate or look into this and say, what's, what's, what's the way to do it? What's the best meditation? What's the best meditation system? You must have heard of a few. Which is the best one? Different teachers have different ones, but which is the best? <laughs> you don't want a second-rate one. You want the best meditation system. That's easy, accessible, clear, and gets good results for you. The best one. <laughs> so you succeed at getting out of suffering. <laughs> Not too complicated, yeah. not too, not too, not too much technical terms because that gets a bit confusing. Cocktails, a bit of kindness, a little bit of softness, a bit of it. You know, what's the best one for you? Well, I guess it's the one you're doing is the best one for you. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. It may not feel like the best one because perhaps you're not very good at it yet. <laughs> but if you keep refining it and tuning it and noticing where the, you're struggling, where the pitfalls are, where the tanna upadana hits you, oh, wait a minute, too much of that, not enough of that. And I guess then you really, within these kind of range of, of meditation systems and techniques, you know, if you if you kind of 
open enough to realize there isn't a best one. (laughs) But there's there's areas you can work in uh, that you can that you learn these lessons of clinging. And this, you see, there's the, the motivation, chanda. This is why I think it's important to distinguish between chanda and tanha. I'll say it again. Chanda generally means, broadly speaking, desire, interest, motivation, that quality. Tanha, more gripping, more obsessive, more reactive, compulsive, thirst. Just like the difference between thirst thirst and motivation quite different experiences aren't they Though you could say you know thirst has some motivation in it but the, the real when one recognizes tanha more thoroughly you realize yeah but this one never gets quenched it's the wrong kind of desire you know, I could desire to be a little more kind that could be achieved you know I could desire to practice more of that that's something I could do but desire to be perfect, no way. That's that's what you're looking at, your fantasy. So chanda is more like the desire to do something. And whereas tanha is more like the craving to be something and have something. One chanda keeps us lightly on our toes. Lightly on our toes. What's necessary now? Mm. I'm really looking into this, that's chanda. Whereas, so we're ready to respond if necessary, or step back if necessary, move forward if necessary. You know, we're on our toes. There's there's a brightness, a virya, an energy there. You have some say over, you can moderate it. Tanha, grab, looks for not uh, uh, fluidity but looks for rigidity looks to be obsessed looks to get hold of looks for permanence in fact looks for bawa looks to become something I have it, I am it I've got rid of it, I'm not that and this recognizes bawa is also vibhava which means I'm not that so there's some sense of identifying with not being something So we, uh, you know, we, we have this cultivation, that, and then you you can begin to um, keep assessing, uh, you know, the, the factors that are present, and uh, the different upaya, skillful means that are offered. Because the, we see, what you also what it, what it needs to be, uh, eventually what what is it needs to be released. Liberated, purified, call it chitta. It's a sort of word I tend to come back to because most of the English words don't cover it really, or they only cover bits of it. And it seems that uh, there's a broad sense of that which is intelligent, immaterial, intelligent, sensitive, uh, the center of your being, you could say. Uh, so, common terms, mind, 
and heart is another term, and awareness sometimes used also. And if you just get the sense of those particular terms, mind seems to refer to when the citta is much more uh, dealing with mental phenomena in an objective way, able to, oh, that's that, and that's that, there's too much of this quality, this quality is absent. The quality of faith is absent. Hmm. Quality of faith is present. Hmm. Then we call it mind, because it's able to deal objectively. And this is its wisdom faculty. Wisdom is discerning, operating things. But this can, of course, make the, the very, very busy and, and uh, thoughtful. And after a while it gets so full of its thoughts and definitions that this is getting entangled here. Is this, is it this or that? We get caught up in the words. uh, And then we might say, well, maybe heart is more like it. It's just that which feels sensitive. Mm. Emotive, loving, angry. Shivering, desperate, peaceful, contented. Hmm? Yeah, maybe that's better. But then, of course, we can get the mind get very uh, obsessive about its own emotional patterns. We get getting affected by everything, oversensitive. And we say, well, there's another quality called awareness, which is somewhat more spacious, doesn't just kind of an open state of, what do you say, awareness. This is when chitta is not engaging with phenomena at all. So when we call it mind, it's definitely engaging with and handling and objectively defining phenomena. This is her, this is that. It's this, it's that, this is the breath, this is out-breath, this is in-breath, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. That's good, isn't it, to have that quality called mind. It's engaging with. It's engaging with in a cognitive way, way of wisdom. When it's heart, it's engaging with in a sympathetic way. Qualities of metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, of... uh, encouragement, of warmth, of um, sensitivity, of concern. Uh, And that's great too, isn't it? (laughs) You know, the Buddha teaches out of anukampa. Anukampa is a heart quality. It's a sense of, the word literally means trembling. Kampa, tremble, shiver, anu, in the presence of. So, in other words, chitta tur- the Buddha's chitta turning towards the created world has a sense of, oi, it sympathizes. Well, you know, people are in a mess here, but also I see the good, I see the potential. So it's just sensitive to the qualities and it, it resonates, it mirrors it like a lake, the way that a lake will shiver if you drop a feather on it. It's very cool and peaceful. Even one little feather, the lake will shiver. So this is the Buddha, when he turns towards phenomena, 
from the heart place. And then, of course, you know, so when the Buddha turns away from phenomena, saying, well, you know, what has been done has been done. Uh, you know, I don't have an identity with, I've got to save the world. <laughs> you know, making some identity out of it. Just, you know, what has been done has been done. Right now there's nothing. So it just returns to the awareness. Let's go of objects. Doesn't have, you know, doesn't have a lot of memories of rights and wrongs or plans. Just lets it all, lets it all go. And there's no stirring, no underlying tendency arises for the Buddha. And we call that, we might call that awareness. And you think, well, that sounds best. I like the sound of that. <laughs> but uh, it's also, how does one arrive at that? And do we arrive at it in the way of tanha? I want to be that, I want to be unmoving. And so if I'm not, you know, if I don't engage with the phenomena, then I'll be all right. So just get impassive. Yeah. But then the underlying conceit, I'm not this. I'm not this world. I'm not this body. I'm nothing to do. She's nothing to do with me. That underlying conceit arises. I am this. I am someone removed from all this. So that arises. Underlying conceit. Conceiving myself to be other than phenomena. So we have to sense when phenomena arise, then there is a need for some kind of engagement. The heart quality to engage is this agreeable, disagreeable, you know, and maybe that's all that needs to be known and there can be a relinquishment of that. You know, relinquishment of the grasping. Or maybe the phenomena that arises is deeply stirring. You know, my friends, my relatives are in pain and suffering, and we can't just be aware of it. <laughs> or you could, but it seems a little bit inadequate. But then if we just get flooded with anxiety and concern, that doesn't seem appropriate either, not very helpful. So we use our mind. Hmm. Okay, she's she is ninety-seven years old, hmm. and I think we're doing what we can. And you know, there's that's there, and that's there, and that's there, and that's there. Has that been looked after? Yes. And how am I with that? Have I accepted the fact that everybody has to pass away? Using your mind. Hmm. Okay. Then maybe you know I'll cultivate this metta and also equanimity and just carry her in my mind like that relate to her like that so the mind being a bit more objective about what is felt and from that one feels a sense of completion yeah that which has been done which needed to be done has been done are we sure I'm not avoiding something 
taking the easy way out, being dismissive. No, those tendencies do not arise. Peaceful. And then, you know, then maybe one notices, oh, something could be done, so it arises again. Oh yes, remember that. So this this jitta quality can fluctuate between mind, heart, awareness. And so this is where we get a sense of what's happening, you know. And uh, are, are, are are your relationships, are your responses to what occurs, have they been skillfully discerned, skillfully trained, skillfully handled? so that the quality of cessation of ongoing and this is of course it's, you know, the big picture the Buddha is saying birth is finished the ongoing tendency is finished then what has needed to be done has been done but we may very well recognize it's not finished. Still is that underlying tendency to yeah, to want a position, to feel despondent, to feel irritated, to feel anxious, to feel uncertain. Not been not finished yet. Okay. And we, with our mind, we scan the field of awareness. Where's the dissonance? Where's the snagging? Yeah? Is it in what I do or is it in what I feel? And start to notice where the, the dukkha is arising. And so this central pivotal principle I would like to suggest is level of feeling. Of course, can be a lot of uh, reasons why one feels that way, or what we could do about the feeling. But first, we have to handle the feeling. Don't get absorbed in it. Don't shut it down, but handle it. And this, I think, is where we use both our mind to be able to locate. It's right there, that particular point. And you're with your mind, you say it's not that, it's not that, it's not that, it's just that. To trim that away, clear that away, go right to that. Put aside the excuses, put aside the justifications, put aside the she never, he does always, put aside this proliferation. There's the, there's the point, there's the sharp point. So using jitta's mind, in this sense, wisdom, discernment. And this faculty. And with discernment, one can begin to, you know, keep this investigation process going. Hmm? Is the object of my concern, is that changeable or unchangeable? Is it truly a self or just my view of a self at the moment? Is this really who she is? Or is this just a piece of behavior that I'm reacting to? Right? You know, this is wisdom. Use your mind. You know, I think she's a domineering so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Well, um, 
What's she like when she's asleep? What's she like? What's she like when she's got a headache? What's she like when she's sad? Her dog has died. Is she? Oh, she's not that then. Well, that domineering is not her. It's an. It's a. It, it's your experience of a particular way she's behaving. Okay. So that just takes the self out of it. Right, that's your mind, you're clear, you begin to prune these substantial entities into just the factor. That's the factor of domineering. That's the way it seems to me. Seems to me that's the way it is. But we also recognize, well, perhaps just for my perception, because she speaks loudly or quickly or she's vigorous. Do I have to be dominated by that? Or is it just you feel frightened? Maybe that's the point. So you're just looking at where then for this point you're just saying, well I don't know whether it's her or me, but I know the sanya. And the sanya, whether it's her or me, the sanya is I am, I, am being, I am small, I am intimidated, I am feeble, I don't count, I can't say, I don't, can't, my, what I say or think doesn't count. That's the sanya. And then, then you touch that, and there's the Vedana, right there. <laughs> Dukkha Vedana. <laughs> so whether it's her or me or whatever, this eventually say, look, this doesn't really, right now, count. What counts is the sanya, of I am being dominated, I feel pathetic, I feel I'm being looked down upon, yeah? I feel I can't say what I want, therefore, Dukkha Vedana. So, well, this for liberation is what you need, one needs to know. If you know that, and you don't, you just begin to practice with that, Dukkha Vedana, sadness and the emotional reactions of suppressed rage (laughs) or fear or jealousy and you begin to handle those and relax those perhaps what I've been offering is a sense of using your body to, to release these emotional qualities then you know the Dukkha Vedana the sanya no longer has power and the next time you see her she's vigorous and strong and speaks quickly and you just think she's vigorous and strong and speaks quickly You don't get the, 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 the self, me, being created out of it. And therefore you don't get crushed by it, overwhelmed by it. It's sanya that create me as the object. So if we, these aggregates, you know, working on those, Dukkha-vedana, unpleasant feeling. Trapped in unpleasant feeling, the upadana, 
You may not think you're clinging to it, which is true, you're not clinging to it. What occurs is it gets clung to because the mind can't manage it. As it gets clung to, I arise as a result of that. So it's not that I cling, that clinging creates me. And when it's created me, the me that's created can't get out of the clinging because I'm the result of the clinging. (laughs) I'm the result, that sense of the hurt, offended, intimidated me can't get out of that experience because it's the result of the experience. So with true um, Dhamma practice, we say, okay, well, forget about the me bit, just experience the mood, and I cannot get out of it, but Dhamma can get out of it. What is the Dhamma? Whatever is clung to, not self. Whatever clings, not self. Sounds theoretical. Let's just go back to the trigger of that. Sanya Vedana. And notice the feverish grasp around the feeling. That feverish grasp, if you're sensing it, using your, your body to sense how that's affecting these elements, where the fire element is heated up, the earth element becomes fragile or hard, defensive. Whether the air element becomes thin or distorted, noticing the body as elements being affected by feeling, stirred by it, and then bringing the elements back into harmony. Spread your awareness over it all. Your awareness, you know, the awareness is, is. you're not engaged, but it's kind of at this point where you turn, you know, encompass it all. And there's a slight lifting from the engagement with the phenomena in order to just let phenomena be as they are. And that's the property of awareness, it's a mirror. So the move from the heart, which actually was able to, to recognize the sense. This is the feeling, this is where it's agitating, right here. And this, when I feel this, I feel this in the body. That's the heart quality of citta. It's sympathetic. What occurs in the, in the, in the mind or in the citta affects the body. So it, it senses that. It, and you feel those two resonances occurring together. And you also sense, you know, with your, as you open your awareness, oh, there's something else here. There's the ground, the space around me, you know, the breathing out. And then jitta is awareness, which is just like a mirror. Not engaged, not making, trying to change anything, not being stirred by anything, no particular aim, awareness doesn't want anything, it doesn't want anything to change, it doesn't want anything to be another way, it's just a mirror. And what's the point of that? Well, the point of it is the reactions stop. The struggling stops. 
the wishing stops. The, you know, the aversion stops. The me stops. <laughs> the self stops. The upadana stops. The tanha stops. The vedana dissolves. Oh. Humbling, but beautiful. Humbling because we're always really aware that me, you know, me, this me bit is subject to suffering. It's, uh, you know, anything that's taken as me and mine is subject to, to dukkha. And there's a lot of it that can be taken as me and mine. Not just my thoughts and my body, but my friends, my relatives, you know, my house, my garden, my nation, my country, my planet. <laughs> you know, and all of it, oh no, oh yes, oh no, no. it's stirring, isn't it? And it doesn't mean, oh, I'm somewhere else either. I'm the other side of the universe. It, but it means when that experience is happening, we have to use jitta. <laughs> if that experience is happening, if that's what's happening, then you have to use jitta. Use it, your mind, use your heart, use your awareness until that comes to a place of peace. Now, what's the, is there a system for this? <laughs> There's a process, I would say. I've just described the process again. Now, you know, different meditation techniques can emphasize different aspects of, of mind, of citta. You get a very highly discriminating practice, noting this, noting that. This emphasizes the mind aspect of it. You get more like heartful qualities, metta, karuna, uh, sympathy, you know, so forth. Emphasize the heart aspects of it. You get, you get practices that emphasize just the open awareness of it all. You say, well, yeah, they're, they're all, you know, they're all upayas, skillful means. And noticing what, where, but essentially your question has to be, where does the, how does the dukkha stop? How does the self stop? Because if there's a self that's just able to ignore dukkha, that doesn't work, that's not good either. Uh, and so numbing out isn't really the answer. Finding a safe place isn't the answer. For oneself, where one won't be bothered by people and things, that isn't the answer either. So you can use uh, this, uh, the, the where your faith arises essentially where your interest arises, you have an interest in mental discernment, well, you pick up that aspect. Maybe if that's like that for a while, you might sometimes feel more of an interest in being a little less, you know, di discriminative and just much more embracing, you know, heart aspect. Or maybe you just want to be, step back and just let it all be the way it is, awareness aspect. Embodied practices um, like anapanasati and deep investigation of body, 
in my experience. This is useful in that it really, you can't avoid it. You know, you can't really avoid feeling with this. <laughs> you know, because the body, body certainly feels, and, and this, uh, the embodied mind certainly feels and senses, is sensitive. Uh, and you can also experience extreme skillfulness in learning how to, you know, cultivate skillful mental feeling, jitta feeling. Uh, so the jitta feels bright, strong, happy, comfortable, skillful mental perception. We feel we're in some luminous space or open state or grounded, beautiful perception. Samadhi, jhana, and these Buddha certainly encourage these. Uh, and in my estimation, this is a way in which we really begin to, you know, unearth uh, past karma that's in the body, in the body fields, all the tendencies towards anxiety or fear or craving, which may have been historical, because you can sense them as they arise in the body. And you can have to clean it. Disadvantage is you, you can get, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> and it's like trying to sweep, sweep, sweep the, the beach, sweep all the sand off the beach. <laughs> you mentioned it, well, just get it so it's, you know, it's good enough and uh, uh, so that I'm not. Uh, that, that's probably okay. Um, also, the energies that are, can arise with this can be extremely fascinating and delightful. So the sense of grasping at jhana, craving for jhana, grasping at it, and so on. Feeling fed up because you haven't got it. So you make an identity as someone who doesn't have jhana. That's my true nature. I am a, a non-jhana being. Or I despise jhana, or, or I am a jhana being and I praise jhana. You get an identity out of that. You know, this is just dukkha. <laughs> More dukkha. <laughs> so that's the disadvantage of it. See, it's really skillful to use these systems and practices for what they're worth. And of course, you can go to something like open awareness, which is very. You know, it's a nice, steady place to be, something you can refer to. Uh, but there can be a tendency to, to, to adopt a disengaged stance where, you, you know, you don't really want to feel anything, so you just disengage. And one can get a little bit n- inadequate in terms of relating to life, people, responsibilities, you know, just let it be. You know. So these are all, um, you know, different. Some of the different practices we can approach, but I would say they all carry qualities of jitta, and all these qualities of jitta are, are all relevant. And it's up to the wise person to sense, you know, which particular skill, which particular approach, which particular avenue 
do am I able to unearth the potential for dukkha? You know, both to handle the dukkha that has arisen, or also to unearth the potential for dukkha, the tendency to grasp a position, the tendency to grasp a technique, the tendency to grasp the idea of being somebody. And these, of course, is what's called the, the three fetters, the first three fetters. Um, you know, identity, personality view, I am somebody, I am this. Uh, doubt and uncertainty, which, which is right and which is wrong. I'm trying to get it all figured out. Attachment to systems and customs, the paramasa, which means, means Attachment to meditation techniques, apart from anything else. Attachment to routines, attachment to law and order. So we get, you know, this is this, that's right, that's wrong. We get very straight lines, black, black and white, black and white thinking. This is right, that's wrong. This is the right way, that's the wrong way. And this is sila bhatta paramasa, and uh, which literally means fondling or getting glued to systems and structures. Of course, in our life, as social beings, we use systems and structures. We use systems and customs, conventions and protocols. It's nine o'clock. It's this is this, this is that. This is the place for women, this is the place for men, and so on. You know? And uh, this is the polite, proper way to pay respects, and so on, like that. Why? Because it gives, if it gives rise to a feeling of ease and avoids unskillful social repercussions, unskillful tendencies. We grasp at them, then we get heavy right and wrong, condemning. And we feel we grasp at them for security, to make sure I'm doing the right thing. The right thing. We feel lost if we don't know what the right thing is. Because one makes an identity out of doing, doing the right thing. And the skillful person should realize you don't know what the right thing is, always. You have to be prepared to not know and find out. <laughs> and, okay... So certainly, you know, in monastic life, there's a lot of etiquette and rules and customs and protocols and proper ways of doing things, and and then you learn one particular way. This is the way you look after an arms bowl. This is the way you tie the knots. You know, the knots that tie the the sling, the cover around the bowl. You have particular knots you have to learn to do to tie the thing on. Then you get one Ajahn likes his knots tied this way. The other Ajahn thinks, no, that's the, that's the wrong way to do it. You should tie it this way. <laughs> and some, some, if you're the attendant monk, you're looking after it. Then this Ajahn likes his sitting cloth here. And this one says, no, don't use the sitting cloth. That's you know, unnecessary. And somebody says, you've always got to put the sitting cloth down. 
they're just in this state of what's going on, you know. And I remember the stories of, you know, people get very anxious about this. What's the right way to do it? So just, just, just let's just be really relaxed about this, <laughs> you know, just feel a sense of friendship and see what we can do to make this uh, agreeable <laughs> experience. Or at least a place where we develop skill in attentiveness and uh, uh, an appropriate, you know, cooperation. See, so, yeah, there's a story of Ajahn Lee when he was looking after Ajahn Mun. And Ajahn Lee used to live in this simple, very, very simple rattan shelter, you know, like very thin rattan, bamboo. And there was a little partition wall in the rattan shelter, and he lived on one side. Ajahn Mun, his teacher, lives on the other side. So his, Ajahn Lee's duty was to make sure that Ajahn Mun's little area was exactly right. And Ajahn Mun would never tell him <laughs> what was right. And often they, that's the case, often they don't tell you. They tell you what's wrong, but they don't tell you what's right. Ajahn Mun would never tell him what's right. So he poked a little hole in the wall. <laughs> and one day he'd go out and he'd go in there and he'd put his sitting cloth down that way, his water kettle there, and his little spittoon there, and his spoon there. And he'd go back and he'd look, poke, look through the hole in the wall, and Ajahn Mungi, takes his sitting cloth, turns it round, puts it that way, does, puts his kettle on that side of his right side rather than the left side. Ajahn Lee looks in and makes a little note. <laughs> next day he tries to do that and he finds out he didn't get the toothwoods in the right place. The next day he gets the toothwoods in the right place. That comes in again. Ajahn something else wasn't quite right. <laughs> he studied it. Then one day Ajahn came in and hmm, everything was right. <laughs> then of course you go to another teacher and they don't they do it a different way <laughs> which is great because eventually you lose that tension over getting it right and getting it right just think oh well you know we've got to go through the process again and again and just release that tension in your gut <laughs> being so concerned to get it right <laughs> all the time just release that tension in, in your belly and just you know kind of bring forth what you can. <coughs> so just attaching to the system or the custom is, is not, it doesn't make you secure. The only security you can have is your chitta <laughs> feeling, okay, you know, well, I'll handle the dukkha, I'll handle the sukha, <laughs> I'll handle the praise, I'll handle the blame. <laughs> because... Uh, you know, there's this quality of strength that occurs just through being able to do that. And then wherever you go, you feel, well, I did the what I could, I did the best I could. You know, I don't know, tried, did the best I could. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there's, you realize the world will never be you. Uh, always giving you pleasant feeling, a positive feeling. But you realize that's that's where it ends. It doesn't have to get under your skin. But you don't have to just dismiss it either. You look honestly into, have I been negligent, careless, you know, preoccupied with something else, losing mindfulness? You lose your mind. 
You use your mind to discern that. Use your heart to bring up encouragement. Come on, that's okay, let's try again. Use your heart to pick it up. Use your awareness to mirror what's going on. And this is the way you cultivate. You cultivate any meditation practice, any meditation system or technique with that guideline in mind, you're always going to be make good progress towards eliminating that which needs to be eliminated. Upadana, clinging, bawa, birth, self. And that's where the suffering is. Here you are.